Okay, we're continuing in the book of Joshua today, and we've gone into the Old Testament, and here we are in Joshua. We started last week, and we'll be in Joshua chapter 2 today. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles or look along with us as we consider this amazing account in the Old Testament. And I confess this morning that I am saved by grace alone. I, who am a sinner, and whom lost. And I've, I've, I've found the greatest gift that I think you can find, which is Jesus Christ who came and died for me. And I gave up on trying to earn my salvation and trying to focus and figure out myself, and I turned and I, I accept Jesus as my Savior. I think many of us in this room have done that. And the question because then, then what is your life about and how do you continue to think rightly and have the right viewpoint, worldview, if you will, on this world that we live in. And what helps us a lot is this word, because in it, God has his ways and his thoughts, and honestly, they're different than mine. If I was left alone and just in my own room and started to think through and do things, I would come out with different ideas and different thoughts than this Bible has. But this Bible, including the Old Testament, maybe even especially the Old Testament, helps me with God's ways, his character, who he is. And as a believer, I so want that. I so need it because our culture right now that we live in, every day I go out, every day I'm pulled, every day I'm faced with thinking that seems reasonable, but actually it's a dead end. Right now I feel like in our society, for example, you have this idea of almost legislated morality. Like if we could just get everybody to control their behaviors enough and we could get everybody, then, you know, really everybody will be okay. The Bible says nothing could be further from the truth. You can't legislate your way anywhere. And morality at the end of the day is a dead end because we fail. The flip side of that is this idea that, oh, well, hey, then we'll just gather in our little group. Maybe you've seen the rise of nationalism in our country. Our group is good and that group is evil. And I come back to the Bible and I see, wait a minute, God has a different way of looking at things. And I want to see it and I want us to see it and I want you to be encouraged that the Bible helps us to see God's heart. And we're encouraged to see what life is really about. And here it is, loyalty to your God, trusting Jesus. Is that really where we're at? So today we get to see it in this really amazing story from the Old Testament. And you may, it's the story of Rahab is what we get today in Joshua chapter 2. And I just want to say as we go in that this story, this true story, is not essential to Joshua. You remember last week, right? Joshua takes over and and Moses, who brought the law, he dies. And Joshua, his assistant, he's going to be the one who takes over and leads the people into the promised land. And so he tells the people there in Joshua chapter 1, he says, get ready, we're about to go. And they say, okay, Joshua, we'll be ready. Just be strong and courageous. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 3 when they start to move. And we get to look next week as they cross this big Jordan River and they come to this big city named Jericho and they, all these things start to happen as the millions of people there gathered on the plains of Moab go into the promised land that God has promised them. That's the big story, right? 
God gives his people the land. So you could just skip chapter 2 and go straight from chapter 1 to chapter 3. Chapter 2 is this little side story. And here's the thing. When you see a side story in the Bible, open your eyes wider. Because usually it's something really important. And today, I would suggest to you, Rahab, her story, really important. Let's look at it together. I'm calling it In Deepest Shadow, and you'll see why as we get going. Here we go. Chapter 1, I wanted you to see the descent. I mean, verse 1, chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. And Joshua, the son of Nun, he sent two men secretly from Shittim as, as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Okay, here we start. The curtain comes up. This is going to be our story. Joshua sends not 12 spies like they did in Numbers, but he just sends two, and he says, go check out this land. Now, the reason they would go in to check out the land, you know, right? They would go because they're, they're going to they're gonna invade. We need some intel. We need to see how many people there are, what their fortifications are, how big these walls are, what's going on, where should we attack, all these things they want to know, because guess what's going to happen? They're going to take the army, and they're going to come. Except you know something, and I know something too, that they don't know. Are they going to need to attack the walls? Are they going to need this big, huge, massive army to do something? Well, the only big army they're going to need is to walk around the walls a bunch of times and yell and play a few trumpets. And the walls are going to come down. The spies aren't needed for that, are they? This is totally a side story. In they go. So they go into this big city. And maybe you don't know Jericho, but you should. Jericho. I'm calling it descent because if you've been there, you know Jericho is the lowest inhabited city in the world geographically, right? Because it's it's 846 feet below sea level. That means they got to go down a lot. They're going down into the basin where Jericho is. Down into this city that has been continuously inhabited for longer than any other city that we know of. 10,000 years. You know that's older than the pyramids? I think of the pyramids as super old. But Jericho, so you think it's a stronghold. If you ever think there's a stronghold, this is a stronghold of what? Humanity. Humankind as they've lived there continuously. And they've built these massive walls, right? There were two of them enclosed supposedly around over 21 feet high. And they encircled the city. This was a, this was a fortress city. So they went down into the place with these walls. And they didn't just go down physically. They're going down into dark humanity. Badness. Why do I say that? Well, I say it, and we're going to this brought out to you, right? They came into the house of a prostitute. Well, why are you guys staying there? I would suggest to you it's not because they're messing around. It's because there's probably nowhere else to stay. Why do I say that? Because we have from the Bible God's understanding of what was going on with these people. I have it already. If you've read the Old Testament, you have it in a place called Leviticus, which we routinely skip over. But let me read you just a few verses from Leviticus. 
If you've got young children, I hope they're in the back. I don't read it lightly. This is the Bible. Leviticus chapter 18 says this, You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she's in her menstrual uncleanness. That's a euphemism for sexuality. You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to Moloch. That's child sacrifice, right? And so profane the name of your God, I am Yahweh, says the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. You shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourself unclean by any of these things. You say, wow, pastor, thanks for the Sunday morning lesson. These are heavy things, terrible things. Why am I reading it? Because this is what God says. It is perversion. Don't do it. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that it punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. (laughs) See what God thinks? He says, contrary to our thinking that everybody's really inside okay, this is not okay. There's darkness. There is evil, and people do it. God doesn't think of it lightly. He says it really deserves terrible, horrible consequence. And so here I am, your God, and I'm going before you, and he lists them in Deuteronomy 7 and goes through this again. He says, don't think it's because you guys are strong that you get to go into the land. Don't think it's because you guys are righteous that you get to go into the land. It's me, and I'm going before you, and I'm telling you, they need to be judged. Here I am, judging. The Amorites and the Hittites and the Gerashites and all that, he lists them off. I can't know the ites, all of them. So this is a descent into darkness that these two men who are spies, who are they? They're representatives of the people of God, and here they come into the darkness. If you are a thinker at all, or if you like movies, you should think of the spies as the heroes, right? Because they're they're the good guys, and they're coming into the bad guy's place. How are they going to do? Are they in their ninja suits? Are they going to hide? Are they going to get the intel they need, and then they're going to sneak out, and great things are going to happen? I think we get we get pulled sometimes by the judgment of God on evil, and that's because we've we've become soft on it in some ways. I mean, who hasn't watched the pirate movie where the pirate's the hero, right? Good pirate, of course he's drunk and a rogue and stealing and murdering and but he but he, he has a heart of gold somewhere. The noble prostitute. The misunderstood murderer. I mean, it happens in our, it's terrible and we have these things because we, 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 even though we say, yeah, yeah, morality, we need it, we know we can't and so we, we try so hard to say, well, it doesn't really matter. Every person says God there is a sinner and so there's this descent and they go down a thousand feet below sea level. One way, you know, one way I thought about this, one way that they could have cleaned up Jericho really easily, it's a thousand foot drop so he could have just filled it up with water like a bathtub. But he promised already that he wouldn't flood the earth anymore. 
God did. So another is to kick him out, and then they're spies. And so it's not surprising they're staying in the house of a prostitute. That, that, that probably that's it's like saying I'm staying in somebody's house. One of them. The problem with the spies in my I'm with the good guys motif is that they don't seem to be very good spies. Why do I say that? Because in verse 2 it says, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. How do they know? Did they miss other skies? What happened? So then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, the king, the bigwig. He sent to Rahab, he's saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Stop. This is the story, right? If you're traveling with me down my line of thinking that I brought you down, I, I, I have an idea about what's going to happen. Don't look ahead. Here's my idea of what should happen. Dax is not God. I'm thinking that this is a great opportunity to show how bad these people are. These two spies are superfluous to the story. The main story is how Jericho's going to fall. I'd love a great example. It would help my heart. If I had an example of how terrible these people were. So they're going to catch these spies. And they're going to probably behead them and cut them in quarters. And send them back to the camp. Because that will be great justification in my heart for going and slamming these people. That's what I think. That's probably why God's having this set. Just to give another example of how bad they are, right? That's a good thing I'm not God. Because that's not the story at all. But the woman, this prostitute, had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. What? <laughs> this is a surprise. This is a surprise in my story. I, I don't understand. This is a prostitute who's, a, who's one of them who's in the darkness. And she's, well, I guess I understand that she's lying if she's one of them. Line's probably okay. But why is she, what, what's going on? Because that's what she's doing, right? She's sending them out. She doesn't turn them in. I, I thought everyone was kind of a slime in this, this dark city. What, what, what's happening? But she brought them up to the roof, verse 6, and hid them in the stalks of flax that she'd laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to Jordan as far as the forts, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So you have this scene, and it's a wonderful thing. It's like she, she hides them. So these bad guys come, and they're looking for them, and she, she says, don't go, and she hides them on the roof where, where the, the flax, that's like these almost hay bales kind of stuff that was laid out, and they, they hid underneath them, and I just, I just picture them kind of curled up and keeping their feet in so no one can see their toes. And the bad guys don't know where are they, so she sends them out. So there they are now. They're, they're all over the countryside looking for them. And, unfortunately, oh no, the gate's closed. You know what that means. What's going to happen? Because things just went from bad to worse. They were just sort of hiding, but now not only are they having to hide, but everyone's scattered across the countryside looking for them, and there's no way out. These gates to the city would close, and you got to can't get through the gates, and so now they're trapped inside. Now, what? I'm waiting for them to come door to door. Now they're really going to get caught. Oh no, what's going to happen? And... 
That's called a dramatic high point. When, oh no, what's going to happen? That's the story. And right in the middle of this dramatic high point, there's a break. It's like a commercial break. We interrupt this program to bring you news of Nabisco shredded wheat. No, that's not, not like that. It's actually, it's actually a break that in the middle of this dramatic high point draws attention to the real center of what's going on. This center. What she says. Because in the middle of this dark place, in the Old Testament, we get a picture of what salvation is. Before the men lay down, in verse 8, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. I know this, she says. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. You see that us, not them out there, but not me. I'm, I'm one of these. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. We've heard, she says, not how big and strong you are. We've heard of your God. We heard about how he split the Red Sea in half. You remember that scene in Exodus, right, where he took his people out and God split the Red Sea and they walked over on dry land and then the Pharaoh and his chariots tried to follow them and what happened? We've heard of that. Okay, realize it was 40 years ago, you guys, from here. That event echoed through their whole psyche. They're sitting there going, there's this God out there and he's so powerful. These guys are like, I don't know, it's almost like they have superpowers, but it's not them having superpowers. It's their God. Our hearts melted. We have no spirit. Here's Finally, I'm like, oh, there's a person who gets it. God is the God. Power is from Him. They have God with them, these Israelites. That's the determining factor of their lives. Of course, she's not with them. She's with the baddies. As soon as we heard this, she said, our hearts melted. There's no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven. The heavens above and on the earth beneath. I know this, she says. In fact, she's kind of proving she knows that she's asking something without asking yet. Here it is, the ask. Now then, I beg you. That's literally what it says. I beg you, please, please swear to me by the Lord by Yahweh, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. I I beg you, here I am showing you what I know. See, I know already your God's the God. I know already that he's, he's coming for us. And you know what? I'm helping you. Why am I helping you? Because I believe this is true. So would you please be kind? Would you save? Would you deliver? I'm pausing and making sure you feel this because here's the thing about our story. This is the center of it. And, and, and it's not an appeal based on morality. She doesn't say, 
I will stop being bad like all the people around me. I will erase the word prostitute from my name. I will go back and make sure I just, I'm, I'm good all the way through. I will do those things. She doesn't, does she? The ground for her appeal is what I know to be true. Your God is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. He's coming for me. I want to be on your team. That's it. I know what goes through our head. It goes through my head. It's like, why doesn't everybody do that? What about the king of Jericho? He could come out. He could say, hey, hey, your God is the God of heaven above and of earth beneath. Please have mercy on us. Don't kill us because you know what? We're worthy of being dead. We know. That's the opposite of what's going on, right? All these lines. They're not coming and saying, oh, I want to be on God's team. They're saying, how do we get him? Where are those spies? We've got to kill them because they're going to take intel away and that intel is going to give our weaknesses and we don't want our weaknesses known, so kill them. They're our enemies. Rahab, she says, your God rocks. I know death is coming to me and all of us. Please, literally, I beg you, save me. And they don't say, sorry, we can't do that. You've been too bad. That should open your eyes that though, though, though the, the, the judgment of um, sin is death, that look, 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 there's a way out. It's not get rid of all your sin. It's there's a, there's a God you could be loyal to. Even in the darkest place. They, they don't say, well, here's the contract. This is your contract of behavioral change and increasing personal goodness. They don't say that. What do they say? The men said to her, verse 14, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord Yahweh gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Hey, if you really are loyal to our God... Can you help us? Yeah, yeah, sure. This is the meat of the passage. This interaction of a prostitute, a nobody in the dark shadows of a land under judgment of a people that are on the brink of destruction by God for their sin. They're saved, not by turning over a new leaf, she is, but by being loyal, by asking for deliverance, by saying, my hope is in this God, not my own self and my people and my strength and my God. She's not an Israelite. This, this should upset every paradigm we have of the good guys and the bad guys. Because my thinking is the good guys are going in here and they were the good guys. And there's the bad guys and the bad guys are against them. But here's the, the, the bad guy who, who just by trust becomes a good guy. I know she's a gal. Can I say good gal? What she doesn't become, at least to my knowledge, is a moral paragon. Why do I say that? Because in the New Testament, when she's mentioned, and she's mentioned several times, this is an act of faith. She's in the hall of faith. And in the hall of faith, I think it's verse 31 in chapter 11. It says, when Rahab, the good gal. Nope. When Rahab, the prostitute, did this. It was an act of faith. 
James, because we've been in James. When James says, oh, I have two examples for you of faith working. Here's one, Abraham, the great father and patriarch. Here's the other, Rahab, the good gal. Nope, Rahab, the prostitute. How would you like your name through history? Done, the prostitute. You know what? Does it matter? No. What matters? Faith in Yahweh. Trusting God. Nothing else matters. Nothing in the, in the shadow of death. You realize this is death upon them. That, that, that it's there and it's real. But, but there's a way out. What's the way out? Trusting. Turning. And maybe we have the wrong idea of what turning is because somehow we think what turning is is being a good person and it's not. It's trusting in Yahweh. Trusting in His Son as we know now. His name is Jesus. Okay, this upsets our paradigms. This helps us to understand what we stand on. We don't stand on a particular group. We don't understand on, on, on people who are great and moral paragons. We don't stand like that. We stand on Jesus. Everybody. If the Lord breaks through and they, they, they turn and they see and they say, wait a minute, there is a God and I stand under judgment and I'm, I, I'm going down. Is there hope for me? We know what the hope is. He actually loves you. I want to turn from that for a minute. Okay, so we've done that. We've seen Rahab. And I want to turn and finish the story because there's some assurance to be had for you and me who are believers in this story. Let me let me show you. Because in verse 15, then she we have that now she let them down by a rope, it says in verse 15, through the window. For her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. I like that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The whole tension was is that the gate shut and there was no way out. And I was sitting there going, how are they going to get out? And they're trapped and there's people all over. And now she, she's got a window. <laughs> she's got a way out and she lets them down. She drops this cord down and they're going to go down the wall. And so then she said to them in verse 16, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. And then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you made us swear. Wait a minute, did I skip something? I think I lost a sentence. We're in verse 17. Anyway, you get the point, right? She says, okay, go. And there's this whole plan for them to go. You go and you wait three days in the hills because they're scattered all over looking for you. But they'll come back not having found you. And then you can go and, and get your way home. And they say, that sounds great. But they said that they'll be guiltless with respect to the oath of yours you've made us swear. Unless, behold, when we come into the land, verse 18, you shall tie this cord, scarlet cord in the window, through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who's with you in the house... His blood shall be on our head. And if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath you've made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So you have that whole scene where it says, yeah, when when we come, you've got to be right here in the house, everybody that's going to be safe. And again, there's no condition on it, right? There's no like, make sure that they're really good people that come. 
I'll just gather them in this spot because that's the only spot that we know that, that will make special effort. Anyone see a problem with that? Knowing what you know about what's going to happen? Essentially what they're saying is, if you stay here, we'll know where you're here and we'll come back and find you. What's going to happen to the wall again? It's going to fall down. Where's your house? In the wall. What's going to happen to her house? Unless there's a miraculous act of God, her house is going to fall to the ground. Who's going to be in her house? All her people. What are they going to do? Die. They have no idea what they're promising, these men. No idea. Wait, wait a minute. Something else is going on in this story. Don't you see it? Don't you see that something else is going on? Let me let me finish and we'll talk about that thing. It says, hey, but but there they are. They departed. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. It's set and it's going to be set until it the walls fall in, in Joshua chapter 6. But here in chapter 26, verse 22, they departed, right? They went into the hills. They remained there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers searched all along the way. They found nothing. And then the two men returned and came down from the hills. They passed over and they they, they got out. They're saved. They came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord Yahweh, truly Yahweh has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Hey, unlike the 12 that went out, these two came and said, you know what? The land is ours. And just like Rahab said, the intel that we got from this gal said everyone's hearts are melting and we believe her, and here's what we know. The chapter ends. The curtain closes. We're done. The global picture is really interesting because God had already caused their hearts to melt before they did a thing, really, from things that happened 40 years ago. This is cool. They haven't lifted a finger. They melt away. On the one hand, I really like this because it, it brings home this idea that we have from Romans 8, doesn't it? That if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm a Christian. God's with me. Is he not for us? Look, Joshua, how he is with the spies. But on another really important line, you need to see something here as a Christian. They didn't have to go. Everything that's going to happen is going to happen anyway. Jericho's going to fall. doesn't matter what the hearts of these people are. It just doesn't matter. All the intel that they did didn't matter. The thing that they were sent out to do didn't matter. Not in the sense of strategic value or military value. It didn't matter. The, the actual task, what mattered? What happened? They didn't go to save Rahab. But they did. I know you think, hey, who cares? What this? Come on, Dax, be done. We're, we're hot. It's hot in here. I'm getting kind of sleepy. No, don't get sleepy right now. This is so important. Think about it for one minute with me. Think about how God decided that he was going to save humanity. His name is Jesus. So to get the Jesus, you get this guy named David. 
So in order to get to David, David's great-grandma was a gal named Ruth. She married Boaz. It's a book in the Bible. It's really cool. Boaz's mom is a gal named Rahab. Rahab. You know her as Rahab the harlot. She came out of deep darkness to be in the people of Israel. Her descendant was King David, in the line of which came our Savior Jesus. The plan of salvation is one person for God who he delivers. And how does he use his people, his spies to do it? In a way they had no idea they were doing the whole time. The plan of salvation is, is through Jesus Christ who comes in the line of David who will do everything for us. And, 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 and God has it planned out in such a way that it happens. And, and, and the, the task that they're doing, these spies, has really nothing to do with the amazing work they actually do. Because God's hand is to deliver Rahab. And it will take God's hand. Because when the walls fall, you get this idea that her little apartment is standing with a red cord in it. Because God does that. I guess I say this as assurance for you. Because I get people all the time who come to me. And they say things like, I really want to serve God. i got to do something to glorify God. i got to have this task that's going to be this mighty task that I can do for God because I really do love Him and I want to do something big. And, and, and unfortunately, too many times, we're putting ourselves in the middle of the story. You realize you have a God. You realize our whole life is trusting Him. And it's not just trusting Him at the moment of salvation. And now it's up to me to figure out something great to do for God. Do whatever's wise before you. But your trust extends to this. He uses His people. He was using them. He was using them in the tasks that they had before them that they had no idea He was doing something radically different that would stand for all time setting up his salvation of you and me. I don't go to heaven without Jesus. Nobody does. I'm really glad she got saved. You should be too. Okay, so this is what we are this morning, is that you and I step back and we say, hey, I get it. We get it that it opens our eyes wide. A Canaanite prostitute comes to be included in the people of promise. It opens our eyes wide that she's David's grandma, great-grandma. She's, she's great-great-grandma. She's Boaz's mom. It should open our eyes wide about Jesus and not a word all the way through in any of these things about moral fitness. Not a word. Though that is the ground on which we are condemned because we are sinners and deserving of death. But it's not just the deep darkness of those other people out there that are sinners. It's everyone. We're all in deep darkness. And we all have our only hope in Jesus Christ who is God's plan from the very beginning to save. And he saves not by you being a better you. He saves by you putting your trust in this road. In this man, Jesus. And if you're there, you get to trust him, not just for heaven, but that he's using you right now. (laughs) Would you rejoice? Would you see it in the Old Testament? Because God has planned it all the way through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Rahab. Lord, I, I am amazed at your great salvation. 
We tremble at our inability and our unworthiness and our sin. But Lord, we turn and we, we receive the gift and we say yes to you. And Lord, we desire to be yours. We thank you for all you've done for us. We wonder that you've set your love on us. And we thank you that we get to be in your family, we who trust in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.